0: This is the John Oakley Show podcast.
1: So it's been a cold case uh, ever since Toronto really took it over uh, a number of years ago after the Kaufman inquiry um, and various investigators over the years uh, had worked on the case and, and looked at uh, DNA uh, samples from people that uh, became persons of interest over the years. And in Toronto, we did hundreds of DNA comparisons on the case, uh, and it was in Jan- Sorry, it was in December just before I retired that um, we put forward a proposal to utilize the genealogy type of investigation to try and bring this case to a resolution. And, you know, it took from that time period until now for this uh, actually to happen.
0: So when and uh, why did you decide to go that route, or how did you decide to go that route? I mean, uh, this is relatively new as a technique, a forensics technique. Uh, What prompted it?
1: Well, a number of factors. Uh, One of the factors, of course, is that we actually had a good, uh, solid DNA um, profile from the case that uh, could be directly related to the person that was responsible for her murder. Um, So that was the first key factor in it. The second one, I would have to say, is the, the time period that has passed by and all the other investigative efforts that had taken place that did not lead to the identity of the person responsible. So you put those two into context that, you know, this is getting on to 40 years of this case or, you know, in the 30-year range, 30 to 40-year range, um, you know, you start to look at various things that techniques that might advance the case now being this far um, past when it originally happened. So deciding to do this was, you know, kind of an effort that, if nothing else has worked from now, let's, let's try this. It's new technology. It's things that have been working in the States. Uh, we've heard a number of cases that popped up that were resolved this way. So, you know, the, the effort was to try this, see if it works. And, you know, as today shows, it did work and we do now have a resolution of this case.
0: Yeah, we were mentioning, uh, I guess about six weeks ago, we had talked to the uh, somebody uh, very familiar with the Golden State Killers case, and it was similar in that regard, if I understand it correctly, genetic genealogy. Again, Stacey Galantz with us, 31-year vet of the Toronto Police Services spent 15 years in homicide, former head of the Cold Case Unit on the resolution of the Christine Jessup murder 36 years ago. Maybe you can walk me through it and explain the forensic tracing involved and uh, how this all got pieced together.
1: Right. Well, it's um. first of all, you have to have, like I said, a valid uh, DNA profile that you 100% believe is from your killer, the person responsible for the death of the of the victim. So once you have that, and if it does not come back on any of your, uh, on our, any of our DNA systems, the RCMP data bank, if there was no match to it uh, from any of the offenders that are on that data bank, there was no match to anybody that we'd previously tested, um, there was no match to other cases that we could look at, um, we decided then to take a snippet of that DNA and send it to an independent company that does genealogy uh, research and genealogy type of Um, Tracing, profiling, will. Mm. Um, Once that was done, uh, then then it's building a family tree from the DNA. And you know, this independent company would take that DNA, look at it, see if there's any familial matches to anybody else in the world that have uploaded their DNA to uh, a site that collects this data, is that is allowed to collect the data, and uh, build a family tree from there. And uh, once they did that. They obviously passed on, um, you know, certain family information that enabled the investigators in Toronto to narrow it down to um, the person, uh, Hoover, that uh, is now, believed responsible.
0: It's fascinating how it's a process of uh, distillation almost. So, uh, again, Stacey, I mean, Calvin Hoover is the named individual committed suicide in 2015, was 28 at the time. Was he ever a suspect, uh, notwithstanding you didn't have a DNA profile of his on record or the RCMP didn't, but was he ever a suspect?
1: Not to my knowledge. I don't believe that he was named as a suspect. from. And I'm just going off my memory from the case, because I obviously don't have the case files any longer. Um, but um, uh, my knowledge of that is no, that he was not. Um, but his name nonetheless was in the box, as we say, in homicide, um, which is tends to be the case if you talk to homicide investigators in any country uh, all over the world uh they would you know a lot of them would say you know the name's in the box already especially when they're cold cases
0: Mm -hmm. now the other curiosity and i get the dna uh you know ultimately uh absolved Guy Moran of any uh, crime here or suspicion, but uh, this, because it was still so new at the time, uh, and that was in 95, I believe, after he'd gone through uh, a number of court cases, he was exonerated and awarded $1.2 million. Uh, but why was he originally charged? Uh, was it because there was no concrete way of absolving him at the time?
1: Well, there was a there was a number of factors I think in that, uh, and again, I, I can't go back and retrace the whole thing, but there was some there was uh, uh, some confessions, uh, jailhouse confessions of sort. There was some informant information, I believe, and then there was some DNA, uh, hair DNA, uh, sorry, hair comparisons that were done um, that are no longer done in Canada or anywhere in the world that uh, were believed to link him to. Uh, I link her into the car, um, his car at the time. But, you know, I think they they call that uh, science junk science now when it comes to comparing hair samples. Um, But it was ultimately the DNA that cleared him to say that he was not responsible. Um, But again, going back into the whole case of why he was charged, that's that's definitely uh, a bigger story. And that's been examined and processed over the years and the Kaufman inquiry and all that. Uh, It's a long, long story.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, I won't relitigate it now. uh, Suffice it to say, yeah, that was that spawned the public inquiry looking into why he was charged and uh, evidence i guess uh, had been sloppily assembled and so on and so forth again stacy gallant 31 year vet with the toronto police services just retired former head of the cold case unit so stacy i mean with this new technology or as sophisticated as it's become has that shifted the the landscape for the cold case unit in other words uh, it's a game changer and maybe me- we need to uh, put more resources into following up now that we have the wherewithal to solve cases like Christine well,
1: I, I think it is, and, and it has been. It's been a focus uh, ever since I've been working in the cold case unit. My main focus has been on uh, cases that had DNA attached to them that were not um, connected to any other case on the DNA data banks. Um, strengthening our DNA data banks in Canada, uh, our Canadian data bank is relatively small when you look at the population size and how many people are that are actually on there um so you know looking at other other ways to connect people to crimes is certainly uh on the table and you know people uh, would people that load their information onto genealogy sites um you know with the understanding that it may come back and help solve a a case in the future uh, i think that's something that a lot of people would like to see happen um, that that should happen. I know people con- are concerned about privacy issues and things like that, but you know we're talking about murders, we're talking about family lives and uh, things like that that can be ultimately solved and, and resolved as a result of um, you know one person's generosity of uh, uploading their DNA to a data bank that could lead to the identity of a, a killer 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So I think it's a fantastic uh, way to go about things now
0: yeah it's not going to be without controversy as you well know but oh, uh, you know uh, I, I found this uh, interesting because it was stated by the toronto police service and uh, interim chief raymer that uh, this genetic genealogy is available to accredited police forces uh it was in the us of a but what's the situation with toronto police can they access these data banks
1: um well accessing them is a different story it's it, it's utilizing the services of a company that does this uh, and it's not a Canadian company, um, but utilizing their services to do it. So, you know, people from all over the world upload their DNA to certain sites and give authorizations for, you know, DNA to be used in certain ways. Um, and companies protect that. And uh, uh, there are certain companies that can access it for, or uh, that have this service to allow police services to, um uh, submit DNA and have it analyzed for them through the company. So by way of saying accredited police have access to it, it's not us going into those data banks and looking. It's the companies that are producing the 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 uh, genealogical trees for us to, or for the police to follow up.
0: Would that be similar to almost getting a warrant to investigate, or uh, am I just misreading it?
1: Well, a, a warrant... To get a warrant for something, you kind of have to know who your target is. In, th- in this type of situation, when you're looking at uh, DNA of an unknown offender, uh, you really can't get a warrant to search anything if you don't know what you're looking for or who you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, you know, it's kind of hard to name something in a warrant for which you you can't say with reasonable grounds that it's going to be in that databank. Um, There's, you know, if you take the population of the world and see how many people actually upload DNA to uh, any of these sites, uh, it's a very narrow number. It's not a, a, a high number if you take into account the population of the world or even if you narrow it down to North America, United States, or Canada. So, you know, you can't go in with a warrant and say you're looking for this DNA that might or might not be in there. You have to have reasonable and probable grounds to say that is in the location you're searching.
0: I see, uh, but it helped to, I guess, uh, bring this picture into a little sharper focus and then by connecting a lot of dots uh, it led to the individual in question, Calvin Hoover. Yes, Fasc- it's, a, it's fascinating. an
1: investigative technique, it's an investigative tool, it's not evidence. The evidence then becomes the match between the DNA that the Center of Forensic Science holds and the DNA of the identified person. So all the other stuff that happened before were investigative tools and leads that brought you to that person's identity. Then what you need to do is you can go and get a warrant. Once you have that name, then you can go get a warrant and apply for a DNA warrant to get the person's DNA if you do not have it on file.
0: Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.